Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of mezcal, the show of la locura, mal bien, and so much more. I'll tell you what, the COVID things got everybody kind of freaking out, understandably, especially here in Austin, Texas. But we had a private tasting at my place where I required everybody to be vaccinated so we could sit and enjoy incredible mezcales with Ben Scott. That's right. Today we're chatting with Ben Scott of mal bien and la locura fame. He talks about setting up importing license, how this all went down, drinking with Lalo, and so much more. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Ben Scott of Malbien and La Locura. I grew up in, in New York originally, um, and then moved to Los Angeles when I was 21. Oh, okay. Yeah. Were you uh, done with NYU at that point? I Yeah, I, I graduated. Uh, my girlfriend at the time wanted to move to Los Angeles. And I, after being the guy who was like never going to leave New York City and yeah. thought that my friends were crazy for leaving what I thought was the center of the universe to go to some, you know, podunk place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, just had this feeling all of a sudden where like the city was sitting on my chest and just strangling me and I had to get out and I didn't want to like live and die a couple miles from where I was born and, yeah. and I had to see something else. And so, um, you know, LA was really just as good as anywhere else and, and I escaped. Love does a number on us and it gets it us can. to do some things. But it sounds like you were willing, right? Your heart very, was open. Very, you wanted if, to. If she had said, you know, Portland, I would have lived in, I might live in Portland still. Yeah. You know, wherever, any place would have been. What do you think you would have been? Like, so, what did you go to NYU for? Um, I'm not really sure, to be <laughs> honest with you. I, um, I, I planned on studying economics because uh -huh. I thought at the time, like, well, I don't really know what I want to do. That seems like a, a functional thing. People could get a job. Money sounds like it might be a part of it. <laughs> um, and then very quickly figured out that you know if I was gonna spend four years doing stuff that uh, it would be better spent doing something that I liked sure. and thought was interesting. And I think uh, had this moment of realization that like whatever you're doing begets more of that thing. And so mm. if you don't like economics, the job that you may get, get based more on that degree <laughs> might be more of what you don't like. Um, Purgatory so, of some sort, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, I very quickly, um, pivoted and and wound up with a degree in philosophy interesting yeah you know and i i don't judge i wouldn't judge i wouldn't criticize that but does that kind of mean that your way in which you interact with life that you have a philosophy yourself do you have tenets of how you live your life yeah i mean i don't know that that stems from um the study the, yeah. of other philosophers but i think uh whether it, whether I was attracted to philosophy because I had an affinity to that way of thinking, or you know maybe that's where it was developed, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But I think um, 
yeah, I'm somebody who thinks about things in, in ideals and um, tries to codify stuff and, and think, you know, if this, then what? And, you know, we're all familiar with the idea of like, well, if everybody did this, what would happen? Sure. Um, and that's not really realistic, um, but you do want to come up with a, a value system and be part of the solution and not the problem, I guess. Sure, yeah. yeah. You generally a people person. I know working at service and hospitality might indicate that you're that way, but is that are yeah, you I, extroverted? I think so. Um, I, I don't know if I'm extroverted, but I, I definitely I think I feed off of people, mm -hmm. you know, to a fault where it's really important for me to surround myself with the right people, I sure. guess, because I can get sucked into whatever other people are up to, and there's been points in my life where you know i was just like oh we're all going that way okay and then you wind up in a place that maybe you don't want to be in life or or uh whatever it is so um yeah getting a good team of people around me is is super important and and i'm i connect with everybody i think or yeah. at least well I saw, that's my know, feeling the the natural propensity i think that you have to connect with people um, not to mention the families that you work with only that but like tuesday when we did the taste thing it was it was very apparent people just they, like i like this guy you know what i mean some people I just have so. this yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I surveyed the group after right the <laughs> little paper, yeah, paper yeah. surveys no but that's that's something that you you definitely possess and i think that that allows people to flock towards you too and vice versa right you towards those ideas if you had stayed in new york what do you think you would be doing i have no idea um and and i really like am thankful that i left when i did yeah. because uh like i said you know it's not that i was hanging out with bad people but um living in the place where you grow up uh i think it's hard to explore you know you've sort of settled into your role in in this social scene or mm -hmm. um with your family or what have you and to be settled into something when you're 21 years old it's like you're missing out on a lot in life i think you yeah. know or at least if you're my type of person um did you travel much like do you, you have that wanderlust i know now you do but I no, I never, I never did when I, I didn't really travel much when I was a kid with my family or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, when I, I think about growing up in New York and then going to school there, it was like, why would I leave? Uh, and it's a mentality that maybe gets excused because you're in this giant metropolis, but it's also like kind of a towny mentality of just yeah. like, nah, I know my spots. I go to my spots. I hang out with my people. Um, yeah. And, and I just didn't have the experience to appreciate what I was missing out on. And I think it wasn't until I was maybe 20, like 26 or something like that, that um, I had gotten into surfing and I started going oh. on these like surf trips to Central America and had my eyes open to the pleasures of seeing things that you couldn't really imagine before or experiencing uh, a group of people or a way of life that were so unfamiliar where even if you don't want to move there and live there mm -hmm. you just go oh, I'm, i i come home with a new appreciation for whatever it is that i do on a daily basis and i have fresh eyes and all that like and that's um, i mean but that's it becomes <clears throat> insatiable i think once you really get a taste of the world and what it has to offer whether it's people or places or beauty not to be too poetic i don't think it stops once you catch that no i think um I think there's having an appreciation for that stuff and then there's what it is that you're appreciating. Oh, interesting um, point. Yeah. And so it's like, if you have an appreciation for that stuff, you know, 
I'm sure there are places that are more and less uh, interesting or exciting mm-hmm. or, or romantic or whatever. But basically, every time I get to go somewhere, I'm excited to see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that's become one of the best parts of my job now is not just going to visit Mescaleros and, and travel Mexico, but getting to go to like, I've never been to San Antonio before I was there yesterday. <laughs> like, do I want to move there? Probably not, but there's a cool, there's, there's a cool energy going there. On, there's something yeah. going on and, and it's exciting to see what that is and, and to find um, what the details are. Because I think if you haven't been, you just paint with a really broad brush and you just go out of Texas right. and it's like, yeah, Texas, but also yeah. like San Antonio is different from New Braunfels. It's different from Austin. It's different from wherever. Like, yeah, it's you know, to, to get a, an insight into what makes people tick. I think that's cool. But you had you been to Marfa before? Never. See, that's another one where you'll go there and you'll be like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just different. And it's, it's, but this is what I think is really, really important. And that is that you embrace it all. Right, you you seem like you have a complete lack of judgmental. Oh, I'm very judgmental. Are you really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, I think I'm I'm a tremendous snob. Not about like I I want fancy things, but it's like if you if you appreciate stuff and you want to understand stuff, how can you be uh, lacking opinion on it? You know? Yeah. Like you can't say that you love mezcal and then say that you love all mezcals. Like they're not all created equal. Some of them have a soul, some of them don't. Yeah. Um, And I think the same thing is true of like, if I go to a place and it's just nothing but like Walmart and Applebee's, I'm like, this place is terrible. You know, I want to find like what is true to this place. Like what is, it may not be a thing that I love, but I'm like, what's if there's one iconic dish in austin like what is that like i want to go to cisco's yeah cisco's is what i'm in love with because i'm like that's not a thing that i'm going to get somewhere else like that's special it's not fancy but it's special um it would it's interesting because i i would maybe it's just semantics the way i look at that but when you have a lot of experiences what you like whittles down in a sense right you kind of know more and more when you talk about mescal for instance there's some mescals mescals are like I'm right there with you. I don't care if they're they're made the traditional way for blah 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 eons or whatnot. It still tastes like shit to me, and that's okay. But I'm not judge. I don't I don't care. That has nothing to do with me. So right. in a way, I'm almost like I don't think you're being judgmental. I just think the lens of which you look at things has had so much data to capture that it can be a little more precise. Maybe. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying there. I also think, like I was saying before, you know, or or you were saying about me before, if you're somebody with like a code and a philosophy. Mm. Um, I may not be right about these things, but I still have a standard by which I judge them. Sure, um, yeah. And and I don't think anybody else should follow me necessarily. But uh, even if something is not to my palate, um, I can say, I, I think this is done with integrity and I admire that. Right. Um, and I also think there's plenty of things that you know, you could say, oh, this is delicious. And then you find out the story behind it. And you're like, ah, I don't know if this is really a thing that I want to be a part of. Like these guys kind of like slipped and fell into something tasty, but there's a lot of ugliness behind it or something like that. It's That's an interesting bit. And we'll, we'll have to talk about nefarious mezcal, which kind of is something that's increasing to me because we were talking about how bartenders pr- primarily, they're the ones that get poached to shape shift and trend set yeah. taste make with the biggest dollars there are on the planet, you know, but we'll, we'll talk about that because mescal as a category grows so much. But th- here's the thing that I, 
I love, and this is a quote that I'm paraphrasing for you, that you know you thought you went to LA because you loved movies and just liked food, but as it turns out, you love food and just like movies because you were working as an assistant to a producer. A producer. Out yeah, there. I um I you know having gone to a school where you know many of the graduates went on to at least pursue uh, stuff in in film. Yeah. Um, and then living in Los Angeles, it was like really only a matter of time before that's what I kind of fell into, and. Um, you know, one very not good job led to a slightly better job, led to a pretty good job. And, uh-huh. um, and I was kind of on track and, and working at places that were doing big things and uh, realized, you know, when I talked earlier about being careful about who I surround myself with, was like, you know, I was part of a very insular culture full of mm. people that were all excited about stuff. And when you're in a room full of enthusiasm, it's like, you might not be a basketball fan, but if you're at a game and it's the finals mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. a hometown crowd, like people are pumped and you're just gonna feel that energy. And it's yeah. like, to maybe a lesser degree, I think I was surrounded by people who, um, they all had a dream and I kind of like, that that rubbed off on me. Um, but at the end of the day, it was this thing where I was like, is this, is this really what I'm excited about? Mm-hmm. You know, is the part of this thing that excites me, the part of it that, is my work um or am i somebody who would rather just watch old movies and not you know uh do the the drudgery of maybe making them sure would it, they're bound to have been i'm sure it was accumulation of moments but at the end of the day was there that linchpin moment where you're like okay this is I, this is someone else's dream not mine um i'm not sure that there was a a single moment i think um it was a it was a progression and uh just you know when you look at the people that you work with and the people that you work for and they have all the success in the world and you go i don't think i want to be that guy Mm. uh it's pretty clear that that's not a, a track that you should be on because if those people are like the pinnacle of success and that's not enough for you well like you know you're doing the wrong thing because wildest dreams you might get close to what those people have you know both financially but also in terms of uh you know respect of their peers Mm -hmm. respect of the public at large satisfaction in you know having accomplished something and if that's not going to be enough for you like go figure something else out um and so having worked in restaurants all through college and uh, really, you know, still to this day, like all of my, not all, but many of my best memories, my happiest times are when I was a waiter or when I was a bartender or yeah. the sense of camaraderie, you know, it's 3 a.m. and you've got a pocket full of cash and you're hanging out with your friends and life is good. Like that's, yeah, those are, those are fun times. Um, and thinking about that against, you know, what I was doing at the moment, it just, it became clear to me like this is not where I belong I gotta go I gotta go figure something out with uh where my heart lies so this the like flavor your your palate right how did you hone that thing in because mezcal to me is the most challenging you got it like it's good to go through <laughs> other categories of spirits first before you end up at mezcal to try to discern what exactly you're tasting because there are things here 
vinyl pool toys where the fuck else you taste it? right right you right. know what i mean like where else do you taste that right. like where else would, it's preposterous to even think but like as you started becoming you know there's a good bit of press about you and you know a pretty lauded career ultimately as a bartender and stuff but how did you build your palate what were some exercises um i think you know ultimately a lot of the credit has to go to chefs that i worked with and bartenders who i worked with and people who um you know gave me the framework for how to think about things um and you know you and i have talked about music and sort of the connection between music and flavor yeah and uh one of the the guys who i'll always be indebted to is sang yoon who's a, a pretty like world-class chef guy who i worked for um when i left the movie business and he would always describe uh the composition of dishes using musical analogies because he was like <laughs> you know it's really it's really hard to talk about flavors right and uh -huh. i mean it's even more difficult to talk about the relationship between flavors when you're talking about an overall flavor profile it's easy to say that tastes like pineapples and you go yes it does or it doesn't right it tastes like mint yes it does or it doesn't but how does the mint relate to the pineapple mm -hmm. they're both there but sometimes you know that relationship might be different in one dish or one spirit than it is in another. And so he would always talk about like, yeah, this is really the baseline. And then you have like these high notes come oh, in. Oh, man. You know, it, it made a lot of sense <laughs> to me. Um, so that's, I guess, an example of, of somebody that I worked with uh, who changed the way that I thought about flavors and, and how they connect. And then I think... I had the the good fortune to work with some super talented bartenders and I was really into cocktails for a while. And I think that was also really influential. I think uh, cocktails totally different than mezcal and spirits mm -hmm. in general, but I don't make spirits, right? You make spirits. I don't mm -hmm. make spirits. Um, but I made a lot of cocktails. Yeah. And so thinking about when you're actually in the act of building something and creating something, you're not just evaluating it, you're critiquing it and then reworking it. And so I think, you know, it's the difference between like, if you're a passenger in a car, mm -hmm. you may basically know how to get from one place to another. But if you've never driven there, like you may not remember, you're like, basically there's a left turn up right, here or whatever. Right, right. But when you're the driver of the thing, like you really have to be connected to exactly when and what and where. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was pretty influential as well. So we had a chat as the party <clears throat> or tasting wound down on Tuesday. And we did exactly that when we were talking about La Locura. Because I was talking about watching the Rick Rubin, Paul McCartney thing. Oh, yeah. You remember yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was late, but yes. yes I, I, well, I, I sort of remember like, this. No, yeah. that, was, that was a moment, though. But as we talk about you meeting Mescal, and, and I love hearing this story about how you met Lalo and all of that. But you said Lalo was like the George Harrison. And I vehemently disagreed. But I would like you to explain, if you can, why you think Lalo is like George Harrison. Why is Lalo like George Harrison? I think... Or his spirits, specifically. Or Lalo Kura yeah, is, is the George Harrison of, of Mescal. You know, one, I think he's just a super talented, elite dude. I don't think that anybody could make uh, a short list of you know best rock songs without the Beatles, right? Uh -huh. um, and I don't think anybody could make any kind of list about 
you know, whether it's top one or top 10 of yep. Mezcal and not have Lalo on it. Uh, I think Lalo's also a guy who's sort of maybe not in the limelight the way some of the other Beatles would be that I think mm. like Paul is a bigger name. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, John is a bigger name. Maybe they have bigger fan bases in a way, but um, Lalo not being a guy who gives like two shits about marketing or yeah. any of that, like he's just kind of doing his thing and he's just like, he's just rocking. Yeah. Is he uh, a sensitive dude? Very. Yeah. Very. Out outspoken and pretty humble and introverted depends on how many drinks he's had i think um which is yeah yeah, yeah it's just common you know he's he's a very humble guy when you meet him and he's a very um he's a very he's very in tune to like the people that he's around and, mm -hmm. and he like he's quiet but he asks smart questions not just about spirits but about like people's backgrounds and trying to size them up as far as like most of the people he meets are showing up at his house which is very different than like you meet people in a bar or whatever right, right? like people have come there because somebody told them to or they sought it out or whatever it is and so he's he's always meeting people on his home turf but he's trying to figure out like how to connect with them and relate to them and um, how best to share what he does with them because I think um, as much as he's not like a salesperson he's such a big believer in what he's doing and I think you know you don't invite a million tourists to your house because you don't want them to get what you do that's true sure, um, yeah. you know he, he wants people to understand what he's doing and why his way is important um, and so yeah, you gotta you gotta be some kind of a humanist. Uh, yeah, that's I had never thought about that. <clears throat> we, you know, I have the the luxury of hosting tours when I want to, but they don't get to see my living room. You know what I mean? It's a distillery. It's a whole different place. Yeah. And so I, I never occurred to me that we are quite literally going into these maestros maestros' homes. And that's yeah. different, man. It's pretty invasive when you put it. It's like super that. invasive. I never but thought it's also it. like you know, um, you've you've written music you've performed you've done stuff like that like when you have something that's your artistic creation like that's your child you yeah. know like that's your baby and so i think yeah like you may be inside of their home but you're already sort of like experiencing them on this really intimate level when you're drinking their blood sweat and tears right and yeah. so like whether you're drinking it at your house or at a bar or at their place like you're you're seeing a side of them um whether you recognize it or not and, mm -hmm. and getting it in their own home only just makes it that much more apparent. That's yeah, it's a great point, but it just, it, it was, that's a paradigm shift for me right then. Cause I hadn't really thought about it like that, but you know, you regaled the lot of us on Tuesday about how this project kind of started kicking off. So mm -hmm. some of the details, if I recall correctly is you were at Bosworo in yep. Mexico city, trying some good mezcal and it, all the stuff you really, really loved ended up being, Lalo stuff is that roughly how? Um, you know, not all the stuff that I loved, but you know, there was maybe sixty mescales on the chalkboard, mm -hmm. and fifteen of them were Lalos, and yeah. I was like, either this guy owns the place, or <laughs> or this guy's the man. Um, let's try that. And the first sip of the first pour, um, my mind was completely blown. Not just everything that I understood about mescal, which was not a lot at that time. How old um, were you, by the way, when you were out there? Uh, the, 
what am I? How old am I now? I, don't know, I must have been thirty-two or three. So like six, six, six yeah. or so years ago. Um, yeah, he. It it changed the those couple pours changed everything that I understood about spirits. They changed so much, and I didn't even understand them. You know, it mm -hmm. was just this, um, this awakening, and I can't think of any other moment in my life. You know, it, it's. It's the only time that there's been like a love at first sight thing for me, yeah. whether it be food, drinks, a woman, you know, yeah. a book, whatever. Like there, there's nothing that catches me on page one and I just go like, I'm all the way in on this. Um, and it's, so- I mean, that's, it's beautiful. It's serendipitous. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't feel anything but lucky um, that, that I, I had the good fortune to do that. I had actually just quit uh, a job that I was working at. I had these tickets to go to uh, Mexico with a friend of mine. And he was like, oh, are we not going to go now because you're out of work? And I was like, nah, man, let's just go. I don't care. I have a credit card. We'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm so thankful that I did because, you know, I genuinely have no idea what I would be doing right now if I hadn't had the good fortune to, to step into that bar and to be in the frame of mind to like appreciate and recognize the the greatness that was in front of me. I mean, the, it's beautiful that it sometimes boils down to a moment like that, that launches our lives into mo into motion in some sense. You know, we all we're always living all the time and we're accumulating experiences, blah blah. But there are some things that happen that do that to us and they change the trajectory forever. I love I love that. So I also love that you drank a shit ton of mezcal with Lalo because I guess the initial idea <clears throat> had you. Before you went up there and visited him, had you planned on bringing it into the States? So my, my original idea being a bar guy, um, as anybody who's been a, anybody who's good as a bartender and has done it for a minute, has a slew of people who have been regulars, maybe followed them from one place to the next mm -hmm. and, and remained regulars and are like, oh, when are you gonna open your own place? I, yep, wanna, yep. I wanna support you, I wanna invest in this. And so uh, at the time I had been thinking about what, like I, I can open a bar, that seems like the natural progression for me. I don't wanna be like a brand rep or something like that. Um, what, what am I gonna do? And I don't think that LA still, you know, whatever this is six, seven years later is ready for like a brandy bar. Uh, right. There's a million whiskey bars. I have really very little to add to that conversation other than I think I'm very knowledgeable about it, but what am I gonna do that nobody else has done? Um, and so partly just creatively, why would I wanna do that? And, and financially, like it's not a great business to be like, also we do the same thing that seven other people in town do. Right. Um, and so was thinking about what that might, that, that something might be. Um, and I guess because I was coming from bars, I thought that's a space that I'm comfortable in. If I can figure out the import side of this, I'd like to get all of this stuff that's so unrepresented in the United States, these, these flavors and these styles mm -hmm. from these different regions that aren't presented to people, um, get that to this bar, do something, you know, not exactly Bosforo, but like do something where it's just very simple, very straightforward. It's about the mezcal. It's not about cocktails. It's not about, um, you know, ambiance necessarily. Mm. Like it's about what's in the bottle. And eventually, you know, the longer term idea was, 
okay, we'll use the bar as uh, a platform to you know gain some notoriety, and eventually it'll be a springboard for getting these bottles into other people's hands. Right. This thing that gained traction because it's the only place in the United States that has it. You know, now you can say call up the distributor. You can have it at your bar. You can have it at your house. Whatever. Um, and then uh, you know, all credit to my partner Anthony. He is a way better business mind than I am. And he just looked at this and was like, "What are you, an idiot? You're gonna spend like a million dollars opening a bar that, like, best case scenario is super successful and like makes its money back? No, 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 no. Like, this is this is a garbage idea. Like, um, and again credit to him like i guess i was settled on the bar being the thing because that's what i knew mm -hmm. um and well, he had the like that new york mentality right yeah 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 like i mean we're all comfortable with what we know yeah, um sure. and it's a lot harder to feel confidence in a thing that you have zero experience in mm -hmm. uh and his attitude was like we're smart guys we know how to work hard we'll figure, figure it out, out. Yep. um <laughs> And he was 100% right. Like, we are smart guys. We work hard and we figured it out. And because it's it's not like a terribly difficult process once you figure it out, to be honest. But I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned, obviously, Lalo has this very particular style, which I think <clears throat> you can't get anywhere else. You can get near it, but it's not really the same thing. And then all this other stuff, like the batches from Guerrero that you bring in from Oaxaca, Michoacan, you're really capturing a wide swath of flavors from Mexico, which is one of the reasons I really appreciate the project. But when did Lalo say, okay, you can, you can, you can do it. You can brand the booze. You know exactly uh, what I'm getting at. Yeah, that. sure. Uh, you know, Lalo. And can, and can we, before we do this, can we sip this Tobala so I can kind yes, of like take, take my mind. Let's in, get in the, let's get in the, the zone. frame of mind yeah. here. Um, Cause that was my, one of my favorite stories that you told. Yeah. It was also, I mean, my whole sort of, introduction to mezcal and and the way that this business has come together and and this project and these relationships like i said you know it's the only sort of love at first sight thing and mm -hmm. the whole thing has been so uh you know i don't want to say lucky because i don't think it's luck i think it was one of these like i always compare it to the karate kid where it's like i thought i was just waxing cars yes, this yes, whole time but yes. i was actually learning karate like you know yeah okay i love it because i use i'm just saying we're kindred because i use that same thing it's like i thought i was just painting the fence no i wasn't no man like you know when you we're all living our life in a certain way and um i think if we're lucky the sum of our life experiences adds up to the key to some puzzle yeah, right yeah. um and and so this was a really uh the whole thing has been really special for me just because at every turn there was some sort of seemingly unique problem or challenge mm -hmm. and i somehow felt like i had a, a solution to it or anthony had a solution to it and it's like oh yeah because we did this thing not in preparation for this moment right. but it turns out we're very well prepared for all this stuff yes it's it's strange how that works out yeah so it sounds like he lala with initially kind of when you had this proposal he was maybe a little hesitant. Super hesitant. Like I, I would say he, you know, so I got his, his Hotmail email address uh, off the back of a bottle at, at Bosforo. And uh, my Spanish was terrible at the time. 
and and I got my ex-girlfriend who was already my ex-girlfriend at the time to translate an email to him mm. and basically saying like, oh, I'm going to be in Minas in three weeks. Can I come see you? Uh, he eventually writes back and says yes. And then I like turn around and buy tickets and was like, we got to go to see this guy and mm -hmm. you got to come with me. I'll pay for you to go on vacation. Just don't say anything bad about me for an hour and, mm -hmm. and <laughs> you can, you know, bad mouth me to everybody else. Um, and we get down to his place at like 10 a.m. I think at the time I, I had no idea who he was. I had no idea what he was about other than just this guy's made the best thing that I've ever tasted in my life. And then he makes 14 other things that are the 14 other best things that I've ever tasted. Mm -hmm. um, I go into this whole spiel that I've prepared about, you know, I know people in the restaurant world um, I think what you're doing is so special. It's so unrepresented on a on a global scale. I want to put this in front of the right people, and I think this deserves the same respect that like these great wines and these great brandies, whiskeys are getting. Uh, and he lets me get literally like a minute and a half into this pitch, and just kind of cuts me off. And he's like, "Look, man, I'm not interested. No, thank you. Uh, that's great, but that's not what I'm about. What I what I do is just for the people." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, if you care about it enough to come to my house, then it's for you. And if you don't, then it's not. I'm like, that's the coolest thing anybody okay, can say about Okay, that's very George Harrison-esque. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're, you're either with it or you're not. I'm not doing it for everybody. I'm doing it for the people who appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, and I accept that because that's the coolest answer anybody. That's the, the coolest no you'll ever get. Oh, like sure. I've never been rejected in a in a more enticing way. I know, yeah. Um, but then we end up hanging out and drinking for literally. I I mean, you do the math. I think I left there at three a.m. and I got there at ten a.m. So you know, that's a long that's a long stretch and that's a lot, lot of drinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're drinking the whole time and. He's showing me around and I'm not pushing him at this point. I'm just like, you're a cool guy. I, I had no, I had this idea, but I had no expectations that it was going to work. Mm -hmm. I just thought I'd pitch yes. him on it and yeah. see what happens. Um, but at the very least, like, it'd be cool to have a friend who does something this great. Mm -hmm. Like he can show me around and, and I can learn something because I'm, I'm really like a fan of it more than anything else at this point. And uh, at maybe like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, we're sitting around his table and uh, and we're drinking some more. And he's like, well, how would you get it over the border if we did this? And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess something that we were talking about yeah. won you over. Maybe it was your own mezcal just charmed you. Maybe I charmed <laughs> you. I don't know. But um, uh, we we really bonded that day. And I, I don't want to say it's because we drank so much, but... Um, it removes the... The glasses and the preconceived notions about each other too though totally you know what i mean that's one of the great things about mescal yeah but, but how long then from that good inquisition not inquisition but his inquiry into like how are you going to get across the border about how long did it take <clears throat> till you in fact got it the the first um the first sales of la locura were in the i want to say like may of 2018 something oh, like that okay. so i met lalo in person in like august of 2016 mm -hmm. so you know i mean it was it was a stretch but in terms of getting all of the paperwork in order in mexico in the united states um 
all of that like it took us it took us longer than we would have liked but also like you know realistically how could we have done it quicker yeah no i mean when you're working with the feds and then california yeah it's a lot man. it's a lot of stuff yeah. to learn and you know there's there's so much there that uh you know we're still learning how to like better finesse stuff and there's lots of like tricks or shortcuts or mm -hmm. whatever it is ways to improve and and uh be more efficient so um we're always improving and, yeah. and maybe one day we'll be great but right now we're just doing really well good i'm glad i mean i'm glad it's here in texas finally you know it took a little while but you know we and we'll talk about agave mixtape here in a second but i love pm spirits i love plotsy man i've known him for years and the fact that like we kind of were part of the same portfolio out there is really amazing all the you know that, i don't know if you knew that but like so this is not to plug me but the your gin is through PM. through nick yeah yeah, yeah yeah and then and so it was just like you gotta i gotta know the team so like anybody that, that he imports because he's doing distribution right in new york or so he, yeah there's there's so many like entanglements but it's like it's a very small world and obviously uh it gets a lot smaller when you're talking about people who are turned on by the stuff that we are yeah um nicholas and pm distribute our stuff in new york uh his distribution portfolio in new york is separate from his national import portfolio um so there are uh certain brands that he works with in every state and then we work with him in new york but he's another guy who just from afar, I had all these Navazos Palazzi mm -hmm. bottles of like Palo Cortado aged. Uh, Get grain whiskey. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, 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 man. And just like cool stuff where I'm like, this isn't, um, these aren't like trophy bottles or whatever. Most people aren't gonna care about them. They're yeah. gonna think it's too expensive for not being Macallan mm -hmm, or whatever mm -hmm. it is that they drink. And then there's also the segment of drinkers who definitely like all know each other on the internet, at least, who go wild for it and really appreciate it. So um, he's one of the guys that that we were very happy to work with and and felt like a, a kinship there. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's similar cool. lenses, like similar concerns about people and about innovation. It, it, it's just when you get down to the people that, that I really admire in this world, there's a lot. But in this industry, there's not as many as you would think. Because not everybody thinks like that. That's no. that's the kind of mind, like, that's how I think. And, you know, you working with Guerrero and bringing stuff from there, kind of unexplored territory. This is all stuff that I think that I find to be kindred, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to ask you, and I hadn't asked you this the other night, but I love the the pure aesthetic of the green tape from mm -hmm. Albion. Was that an afterthought? Had you actually brought samples over with that tape no, before? Uh, I, well, so, you know, anybody who spent time um, hanging out in... in uh, fabricas and, and palenques knows you know these are farmers they don't have brands for the most part they don't have bottles and caps yeah. or any of that so if you want to buy mezcal you got to show up with whatever you want to take it in um, and a lot of the time that's a water bottle mm -hmm. or maybe you'll buy some glass while you're in Mexico and and do that but uh, all of it you know basically labeled without exception I think everybody is using a sharpie and uh, masking, tape, uh, and masking tape and you know being a, a bar and restaurant guy like obviously i took a roll of green tape that was meant for deli cups in a walk-in fridge <laughs> um and 
at some point like that became what I was labeling stuff with and you would come over to my house and everything that uh, was like taking up all the space in my home mm -hmm. was green tape with Sharpie and whatever. Um, when Anthony and I were uh, thinking about what the bottle design should be for that, you know, we knew that the whole philosophy of the brand is like substance over style and we didn't want to have like an ornate bottle a big part of the project is just getting people great mezcal at a at a at a lower price um not necessarily because we want to be competitive with people but because we want people to drink the stuff mm -hmm. like it's it's not about undercutting another brand it's just if something's under a hundred bucks a bottle retail like you're gonna drink it and not worry about it it's not for a special occasion um, you'll be more inclined to experiment and try stuff and, and all that. Um, and so, you know, we weren't going to do like the Classe Azul ceramic, mm -hmm. like we, that was never in the cards. And so knowing we want to do something simple, um, being cheap and not wanting to like pay a designer, uh, and also wanting to do something that we felt was true to the spirit of the brand, which is really just like the two of us driving around and tasting stuff and figuring out what we love and what we're excited by. Um, we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could make it like all the bottles that we already have? Yeah. Um, and then went down this rabbit hole where you end up learning about washi tape uh which is made from bamboo it's made in guangzhou china oh, wow. like you know i think anybody who's ever started a business there's like whatever it is that you're excited about that is the core of the business but the actual like daily struggles of the business have nothing to do with mezcal like it's a hundred percent about getting corks and labels right. and logistics and taxes and you know it's everything else yeah 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 because do you think people have a kind of overly romantic view on being an importer of mezcal oh definitely right like i mean i'm not gonna <laughs> tell people to feel bad for me it's an awesome job and and um i don't love every minute of it but i i go to bed satisfied yeah um but it, there's a lot more of the like you know the cardboard manufacturer screwed something up I than know, yeah. than there is just uh like eating and drinking I think people need to realize that, right? <laughs> Cleaning stuff up, having a warehouse, having to ship yeah. the warehouse, shortages of raw material, whether it's agave or fucking caps. Like, yeah, look, like whatever money that we earn, like we definitely earn it. Oh, but sure. um, also, people are drinking this stuff on their day off. I'm at work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not trying to uh, spoil their good time with my, uh, Harsh with my struggles. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly, man. Like, <laughs> it's not going to taste better because we're talking about cardboard like you right, want to talk right. about the the romantic stuff you want to talk about the countryside you want to talk about tradition like let's do it yeah i love it though so as if that wasn't enough <clears throat> you get two brands and some of the greatest stuff you can explore all throughout mexico but you find a way to mobilize it even further with the gavi mixtape which i'm glad i finally subscribe i guess six months ago or something like that i think shortly cool. after we chatted that Thank first you. time yeah and i'm just like this is fucking cool you know it's such a cool concept where, where did this come about uh i mean this 100 percent is covid yeah, um yeah. you know we work with uh obviously malbien and, and lalukura nationally we also work with uh neta who we're big fans yeah. of and and friends with uh the people behind that 
um, in the state of California where we live. And um, COVID came about, our attitude was there's no shortage of people that are interested in this stuff. Right. Um, everybody who had a thirst for good agave spirits is still thirsty. Uh, it's just that the sort of distribution channels have gotten uh, messed up. And if you used to go and taste stuff at a bar and now you can't go to a bar, how do you know what you want? Do you mm -hmm. want to order this stuff online without tasting it first? What, you know, how do we, how do we adapt so that we can continue to connect with people? Because at the end of the day, like, we don't actually make anything, you know, you guys are drinking it. Mm -hmm. Somebody else is making it. I got to figure out a justification for why this. I exist. That's and, right. Yeah. And that's to connect everybody. Um, and so uh, we thought it would be cool to do something, you know, mail order subscription. Um, and that sort of ended up serving a dual purpose of there's a lot of batches that don't make sense for going into 750s mm -hmm. because you go, oh, this is 80 liters or whatever. It's a handful of six packs. You're going to end up with more people who are upset that they didn't get it than there are people who are happy that they did get it. Yeah. But if you put that in 200 mil bottles instead of 750s, that goes a lot further. Um, so it's a way to um, introduce, introduce batches that might be too small to make sense commercially otherwise. Um, it's a way to connect with like the super fans of these brands, people who are really like on board and excited to taste things from these producers. Mm -hmm. um, and to sort of what, what you guys are doing and, and the tasting that we had this week and what you and I often talk about, just grow the sense of community. And, um, you know, it's one thing to drink good mezcal on your own in your house. And especially when you're not able to go to a bar or a, a tasting with a group of other people during COVID. But even after that, um, it's nice to have the same stuff as everybody else in a way where yeah. if you're on, you know, one of these Facebook groups, you bought a bottle of something cool. There's a couple thousand members on here. Maybe a couple of them have tried it. But if you have a couple thousand people that all got the same thing at the same time, they can engage with one another in a different way and it's like where do your tasting notes line up with mine where are they different yeah. what did you like about it maybe you say something that i didn't quite pick up on but then how many times have you had that experience where oh, somebody gives that. a tasting note i think um david the other night said that thing about uh yogurt dipped raisins oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and i was like man i know as soon as he said that i'm like i know exactly what that is yeah i that is not in my repertoire of of things that I can like put my finger on immediately. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, I'm never gonna forget that. Yeah, that's incredible, that tasting right? note is so on point. Um, yeah, it, it, that's that's an it's it's everything, man. You know, like bourbon, and I, I love whiskey. When we talk about that, but bourbon community is not a community. It's people just showboating the thing that they got that you and I have been drinking for 20 years or whatever, right? Not 20 years, but you get my point. And it's really just about a sense of egoism not trying to connect and but the thing is different about mezcal one is because you never get the same thing twice no matter if it's the same producer or same like it we have to experience it together like it truly is about us you know mm -hmm. and, and a group of people i don't think you can get that in other categories the same way you know i mean my fear is that uh, a lot of that just has to do with the size of the category and that mm -hmm. as, as agave spirits grow in popularity, 
eventually you know we'll have the same number of sort of like hardcore real lovers of the thing yeah and then we'll have a bunch of like trophy hunters who um that's yeah may outnumber the people who are really about it and you know, i'm sure like i know lots of people who love bourbon and have a connection to it and appreciate it yeah oh, but yeah. those voices get drowned out um i think if there's anything satisfying about being part of something small it's having a hand in shaping it and like i was saying when it came to thinking about what kind of a bar would i want to open it's like what am i going to do to change the landscape in bourbon what are any of us going to do you know right. we could get together a couple thousand people and it's a drop in the bucket it's not going to move the needle in a, in a meaningful way um but if you've got a hand sort of in shaping mezcal culture in the united states basically from the ground up um can we can we set people off on the right path or mm -hmm. what we think is the right path i hope so yeah and it's maybe <clears throat> i did i learned something really really important and i've, I've had this i talked to i don't know if you know tyler j wang from eltisoro incredible dude he lives in houston and actually if you're going down there you guys should connect but he we discussed something when i was interviewing him and it's like i try to save things my, my partners right they have their flaws as we were talking about this stuff before we started recording and I, I i take that mentality initially in the beginning of covid it's like how can i help everybody in mexico mm -hmm. right and then i realized it's not up to me i i can ask do you need anything you good <laughs> right to the producers and yeah, stuff yeah. but that's as far as it should go and so that's one of the things that I, is a little dichotomous for me is yeah we we have we must shape this thing but how heavily handed do we do so and that's the thing that I, I kind of wrestle with a little bit because you've got the knowledge, you've got great products, I have whatever I've got, but I love talking about this guy and sharing it. But like, how, how heavy handed do we have to be about it? And I don't know if you ever think about that because... Yeah, I mean, I, of course I think about it all the time. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have the answer or even an answer, right. but I think um, it's not something that you should dismiss. You know, I, I think one of the real struggles for us and the people that we're friends with and, and that we think that are, are doing it the right way, you know, whatever that means to us, mm -hmm. um, your messaging ends up being the same as a lot of the people that we think are doing it the wrong way. Yeah, um, and so, you know, you'll, you'll taste a bottle and you know what you like and you know what you don't like in terms of taste. There's no changing that and no amount of people saying anything one way or the other is going to make it taste better or worse right but you know there's not a brand out there that isn't going to tell you we're taking care of the environment and we're replanting things and we're interested in sustainability and we're supporting these small families and we care about people and all this stuff and it's like okay well if if the guys who are legit and the guys who aren't legit all have the same message how do you as a casual consumer or not you but a casual right, consumer get you um you know how you navigate that yeah you, you, it's, it's really hard wolf and like clothing right i'm not a car guy right and i'm not i'm not a lot of different types of guys <laughs> and there's all sorts of stuff that like you have in your life you appreciate it when you have it but you're not trying to like go down deep in a rabbit hole mm -hmm. and if it's only a handful of like super hardcore nerds that can parse the difference, that's that's, that's tough. Like, I don't think that's good. Yeah, that's not good, and that's not um, that's not going to be impactful. And you know, there's got to be a way to communicate that through your marketing. 
Um, and I, I'm not sure that we figured out what that is, but I, I do think, you know, at every turn we try to um, demonstrate like authenticity and connection to people and places. And mm -hmm. it's not just a product, it's a relationship. It's not just a product, it's a, it's a person who made it. It's a family, it's a place, it's all these things. And yeah. um, the more that you can connect the, the end user with the originator, the better um, I, completely right because that's truly transparency and there are things about there's rhetoric all around sustainability man that's <laughs> so that's a whole other conversation um, until you actually make this stuff you don't really realize what sustainability truly means yeah um, but so i got two questions left for you and you, you th this discussion about the good guys are saying the same things as the bad guys <laughs> do you think that it's unavoidable that with the growth of mezcal that we're gonna lose the quality um yes and no i mean i think um i think the majority of the growth as the category expands will be towards things that are lower quality just because that's what's scalable mm -hmm. like if mezcal or agave spirits in the united states grows by a million cases next year the people that I think are quality producers, they're not going to be able to make a million more cases next year. That's yeah. that's not realistic. Um, so if that's coming from somewhere, where's it coming from? Probably the people on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know that uh, those are necessarily even the same market. To a certain extent, they're competing for the same resources. And if you've got um, stuff that's more industrial and it's, creating a million more liters they're buying a lot of kilos of agave and yeah. you know those are kilos that maybe could have gone to somebody doing something that we might appreciate more um on the other hand i think from a consumer standpoint nobody is torn about getting a bottle of 20 dollars mezcal and a bottle of 150 dollars mezcal these are two different consumers right, right. shopping for two different products and i don't think that like Krug tastes worse because somebody buys, you know, yellowtail Shiraz or whatever. Like, good point. It's, sure, yeah. It's just it's a different it's a different thing, and so to just think about it as one market, I think is uh, going to miss the point. Um, so yeah, I think the majority of mezcal even today is probably not that great, mm -hmm. um, and it'll probably continue to not be that great. But uh, if you're somebody who cares about it enough that you're listening to spirits podcasts or sure, whatever yeah. like you're probably not a part of that group and and hopefully um I, and i and i think there will continue to be uh a lot of good stuff out there for people and i think you got to get out of oaxaca to do it which is what you're doing and so i think that's a great thing and that's something that is really important for me too so the regionalities right but all right so last question for you and this one's <clears> for me you know you were working in film i presume you like film <laughs> And let's say you're anywhere in the world, doesn't matter, but you're drinking this La Locura Tobala with any actor, living or deceased, who would you love to just sit down, chat, and drink with? Ooh, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go nerdy because uh -huh. I feel uh -huh. like you're a nerd. Okay. Uh, Toshiro Mafune. <laughs> no, tell me, I don't know who that is. Oh dude, he's a super badass Japanese actor in a bunch of different things. Uh bunch of samurai movies bunch of cop movies there's there's this era of japanese noir uh -huh. um 
that's that's like just so badass and everything that you know i love i'm a big um i'm a big noir guy i'm a big crime guy yeah. whether it be you know heat or mm-hmm. or like maltese falcon everything in between yeah. um and and maybe it's because i'm not japanese and i don't speak japanese and I, it's easier for me to project um uh what I'm excited about onto it than, than seeing it for what it actually is. Mm. But what it looks like is awesome. Um, <laughs> this guy's and, a bad and this guy's, yeah. this guy's the man. Yeah. Uh, so this is a lot of like, I guess, 60s, 70s. Is it like to- uh, Tokyo Story? Is that the one? Um, there's, a, there's a series of like kind of, they're, I don't know if they're Yakuza films, but definitely kind of that style. And I'm just wondering if it's the same guy. That's, you know. I'm sure he's in some Yakuza movies. Yeah. I I can't think of that. Uh, there's a samurai trilogy that he's in. It's oh, okay. like super cool. I think you can actually see it on HBO Max now. Oh, I was nice. just watching it with It's a not Lone Wolf and Cub, is it? No. That's that's older. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but he you know, Mescal walking into it was a foreign culture to me. Um, and sort of the 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 foreignness of it mm-hmm. was part of what was so um engaging and like made me fall in love with it mm-hmm. and so i think i'm always excited to show that thing to people who maybe don't feel a connection to it initially that if you're already on board with mezcal i'm super happy to sit down and drink mezcal with you and that's great mm-hmm. But showing you mezcal when you're a wine drinker and you've never really had it or showing you mezcal when you're a bourbon drinker and you had something but you thought it was whatever and and winning you over on it or just getting um, getting your getting your your perspective on it, which is going to be different from mine uh, because you have different experiences and yeah. you've cut your palate on different things is cool. And so uh, you know he's a guy who, who seems super cool yeah, at a distance. Yeah. And who has like a totally, I would assume, different palette from me. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'd like to hear his tasting notes. And I'd also like to see him get drunk. Yes. See, this is what it comes yeah. down to. Well, it's been, man, it's been such a great week having you here in Texas. The Virtuoso team did a lovely job again. Man, we tried all this stuff. And there's more to try. I'll take some pictures. So It never ends. It never ends. And I say that. Like I'm sad about it. <laughs> We're all gonna die someday, and we won't have gotten to try everything. Precisely. And that's sad, but you know that's the ride that we're on. You can sure as shit try, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> cheers, dude. All right, dude. Cheers. It's good seeing you, and I'll talk soon, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the time. So there we have it, Ben Scott of Malbien and Lala Cura Pueblo de Sabor. Good guy. You know, we talked a lot about film and stuff, and I'm sipping through all these. Kind of more rare single batch offshoot stuff from Albien from Mioatlan, and it's just incredible. And Ben is a chill guy, easy to get along with, thinks about things in a really different way, and he's really built up a reputation working behind the bar for so long and learning about all kinds of spirits. You know, make no mistake about it, we think he's the mezcal guy, right? But he knows about spirits. He likes that whole world of spirits, and it's really interesting to dive into his head. So. You know, we got a great community of agave in Texas. And Ben, it was such a pleasure to host you at my place. And you get to know the friendly faces that make up this beautiful agave game in Texas. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many Bruce Willis movies you watch but really don't pay attention to, or if you're looking forward to going to see the new Ryan Reynolds movie this weekend at the theater, please keep dancing. <laughs>